Good morning, everybody. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Isn't there a fun mood here today? It's Christmassy. We're unsupervised, like Cliff said. <laughs> Cliff's wearing slippers. It's wild, which really doesn't deviate from his normal dress code that much. I feel fun. We could throw a coup right now. They're gone. We could have a pizza party. The sky's the limit. Well, my name is Gus. I'm the college pastor here at Common Way. And before we jump straight into our sermon, I have a couple of kind of bonus announcements for us. Um, as we said, Matt and Jeremy and Lisa and Christine Ellsworth and Amy Reed are down in Nicaragua. They sent us some pictures yesterday, so there they all are. Uh, they made it there, you know, safely and soundly. They're, they're healthy and doing well. Here they are in front of one of FH's, like, buildings where they do kind of a VBS type thing. So look forward to hearing a little bit more about their trip uh, when they get back. I know I've been missing hearing about our friends down in Nicaragua, so we'll get to hear about that, I am sure, and be praying for them as they make their way back on Wednesday. Yes, we as a staff have until Wednesday to party, and then <laughs> mom and dad and Lisa get back. So we'll joke there for you, Tyler. Yeah. Thanks. yeah. <laughs> uh, second kind of fun announcement Boom. I had a baby. Really, mostly Stephanie had a baby, and I was kind of a witness to the whole thing. Um, this is Michael McRae Goggin. He was born on October 23rd, so he's, just, he's still just a little guy. I now, now I'm a dad, and I'm just like showing baby pictures. You're just a captive audience, and here I am showing you baby pictures one after the other. Here's little Michael. This is me and him. This is a new trick called I hold him and he looks at me. This is, this is last night. Oh, look at him. I'm, don't worry, I'm supporting his little head there. Don't freak out. Here's Stephanie. She might look somber, but she's deeply enthralled in an episode of Downton Abbey here. But, so, oh, there we are. So little Michael McRae, uh, you know, just a quick update. Steph's doing great. Um, you know, delivery went smooth. She's doing well. She gets to stay home from work for a little while, which is awesome. So she's more or less kind of hunkered down at home, but the morale is high in the Goggin household, so that's good. We're able to get some sleep. Michael is doing great. Um, he's a little bit small. He's teeny tiny. He's roughly the size and shape of a walnut still, and so he's, he's little, but he's doing good and gaining weight, which is nice. Uh, more than anything, really, I just want to say a huge thank you uh, to you guys as a church for your support. Uh, in particular, Jan Jones for organizing the meal train that we, you know, benefited from. And I know so many of you uh, helped out with that and brought us meals. And as you can imagine, when you're kind of bleary-eyed and sleep-deprived and there's like the chaos of all of a sudden there's like a baby in your life, it is really nice when there's like a knock at the door and all of a sudden you have a pot pie and there's chocolate chip cookies in your life and that helps out immensely. So thank you all so much uh, for doing that and for so many of you who just reached out and said, is there any way we can help? Is there anything we can be doing? Do you need a break? Do you need this? Can we get Stephanie some rest? It means the world to us that you guys would help us out in that way. Beyond that, um, just thank you to all of the friends we have here at Commonway who are a little bit older than us and over the years have been just an awesome, awesome role model to Stephanie and I. There are so many families at Commonway that we look up to and are really excited to have a family that hopefully looks like you all's one day. 
thank you for pouring into us and letting us learn from you guys and glean wisdom from you all. Uh, it, it's just, I think, one of the biggest blessing of our 20s is that we had a lot of friends who are a step ahead of us in life, and we got to learn from them. Thank you also uh, to all the people who are younger than us that we are friends with, uh, as you know, being the college pastor and volunteering with the youth group and middle schoolers and the kiddos downstairs from time to time. I spend a lot of time with people who are younger than me. And you know, you hear people say all the time, like, oh, you know, great birth control method is spend time with kids. Then you really, you know, pump the brakes on some stuff. I have been so fortunate to spend time with just some awesome younger people um, that have given me a lot of hope for having a little one of my own and a lot of excitement for seeing young people grow up and grow in their relationship with God. So thank you to all the folks ahead of us leading the way, and thank you to all the folks who are a little bit younger than us, making us feel okay about bringing a little one into the world. So you'll get to meet Michael soon when he's a little bit older and a little less vulnerable, um, but they're both doing great, and we wanted to give a big thank you and a little bit of an update. So this morning, we'll be continuing in our Advent series leading up to Christmas, And this morning, we'll be looking at a passage in Luke 1, if you want to be turning there, where Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel with a very surprise announcement. Now, there are lots and lots of surprise announcements, uh, you know, in all of the Christmas stories. You know, there's angels kind of popping up all over the place, scaring the pants off of people, delivering a message, and then leaving. But today we're going to focus specifically on the one between Mary and Gabriel. And like many Christmas stories, I know for me anyway, it can be very easy to kind of gloss over, you know, gloss over the passages because they're so familiar and kind of sepia-toned and they can blend in with all of the other Christmas traditions until they kind of become just like another part of a Charlie Brown Christmas special. Uh, Did anyone else, or, you know, or they can just feel kind of dusty when you're trying to like get into the excitement of Christmas, did anyone else grow up in a home where you had to wait to open presents until you all sat down and read Luke 1 and 2? Anybody else? Or I see some hands. Or maybe if your grandma was there, you also had to sit around and sing some hymns, a cappella, and you felt uncomfortable because you didn't have a very good voice and you weren't the musical one in the family? Just me? Yeah. <laughs> That was like what Luke 1 and 2 was to me sometimes. However, of course, the Christmas story is a huge turning point in God's plan for creation, which is like the understatement of all understatements. The arrival of Jesus is not just another Bible story. It is the Bible story. There is a reason that our Bibles you know, are split into the Old and New Testament you know, on the fulcrum of the Christmas story. And it's not because of the shepherds or, you know, the donkeys or anything like that. Even the way we count the years of our history are totally flipped on the hinge of this story. God's people at this stage in history have been waiting for a Messiah. They've been waiting for, you know, the next great king or priest or prophet to save them, to deliver them. And even if you're just looking at your Bible, you know, starting in the Gospels, there have been about 400 years of prophetic silence between God and his people, which is a long time to wait. I don't know if you've ever, you know, you've been texting someone and you're going back and forth, back and forth, okay, 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 and then you send them a text and then you see the little bubbles that they're typing back and then the bubbles go away. 
but you don't get a text, and you're like, what the heck? And then you're in a little panic attack. Imagine that for 400 years. That's where God's people are at. So obviously, it's a big deal when out of the darkness and silence, suddenly an announcement is made and a light starts to shine. Now, after all that waiting, how do you imagine God would roll out this next big campaign? How is God going to send this Messiah that he's been waiting on, for, that people have been waiting on for so long? Is there going to be a parade? Is there going to be some kind of Bible Times TED Talk or just, you know, a miraculous sign where, you know, the clouds roll back and the ground is split apart? Well, in Luke 1, we get to see exactly how God would make this kind of announcement. We see exactly how this monumental, you know, change would take place. We get to see how, you might say, God's plan takes its baby steps. See what I did there? You guys like that just about as much as first service did, and I <laughs> left it in. Whatever. What it looks like is an angel paying a visit to a very, very surprised teenage girl. Read with me in Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is how God makes his huge announcement and how his plan starts to unfold, which is kind of crazy. There's no Twitter campaign, there's no U2 concert, no chariots in the sky or anything like that, just a teenage girl named Mary getting some very, very unexpected news. Now, there are a number of really big surprises happening in this little story, in this little exchange, and some of them may be a little bit easier for us to notice than others. The one that probably stands out most obviously to us is, I would imagine, the virgin birth. I mean, Mary wins the award for the biggest surprise pregnancy of all time. I think we can pretty safely assume that the public school system back then were definitely abstinence-only curriculum. And nevertheless, look what happened. However, there are a few more and arguably even much, much bigger Christmas surprises going on that are very important for us to pay attention to. Even for Mary, in that moment, the news that she was going to, you know, suddenly and soon be pregnant would have only been one of many, many mind-blowing announcements that the angel was making. 
In fact, for Mary, the angel's message was not just a huge shock socially and physically, but it would have been just as big a shock theologically to hear what the angel was saying. Mary's surprise would not have just strictly been like, wait, what's going to happen to me? Like, I'm, what's going to go on with me? A lot of Mary's surprise would have been, wait, God is doing what? You're saying God is, God's presence is going to become a human presence? What's going on here? What is God up to? This is one of those passages in the Bible that if we are not completely floored by what's being said, which I'm, I'm guilty of sometimes, we're probably missing something. The, the incarnation, the idea that God would send himself as fully human and fully God, would have been and still should be an absolute unexpected surprise. Certainly to Mary, the idea that a human could be divine was totally impossible, totally out of the question to her. We get used to the idea, kind of because we've, you know, we've always been told it, we know how the story goes, but Mary would have in no way been ready for that idea. In fact, if we revisit verses 31 through 33, Mary was likely hearing what the angel was saying in entirely human terms. When we read in verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. In her wildest dreams, if Mary was really stretching her imagination, Mary might have heard this as, Mary, your child, might, your child will be the next King David. This man will be the king of Israel, the king that Israel has been waiting for. Words like throne and reign and kingdom are all going to conjure up political or military imagery in Mary's mind. And even that would have been a pretty crazy stretch. I mean, that would have been pretty wild news for Mary to believe in. Uh, but her mind is not going to immediately go to, oh, God is sending himself as a spiritual savior. Tim Keller says it this way, everything in the Hebrew worldview militated against the idea that a human being could be God. Jews would not even pronounce the name Yahweh nor spell it. Mary had been trained by her culture to not believe that God would ever become a human being. So, though they are different, the barriers she faced against belief in the Christmas message were every bit as big as the barriers you may be facing. And yet, Jesus Christ, by his life, by his claims, and by his resurrection, convinced his closest Jewish followers that he was not just a prophet telling them how to find God but God himself come to find us. So the way Mary responds is actually a very human response. She's just told, you're going to become pregnant, and this kid's going to grow up to be a king. And Mary says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Mary was a teenager. She took health class. She gets it. She knows there are some elements missing in this equation. If I am supposed to have this next great big leader we need to talk through some logistics. Is this Joseph's kid we're going to be talking about? You know, how is this going to work? And the angel's response takes things to a whole nother level. Almost as if to, to tell Mary, uh, Mary, wrong question. 
because things are about to get a little bit crazy. We haven't even gotten to the good part yet. The angel responds, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This is when Mary's worldview would get turned completely upside down. This is why Christmas is the hinge that our Bibles turn on. This is not just a king, this is the king. The salvation we're talking about is not just a political one or a geographic one. This is God coming to us since we can't get to him. And once again, Mary's idea of what God's presence and deliverance looked like uh, is completely blown away. Her expectations would have been very, very different than what the angel is saying. To Mary, the presence of God would definitely be associated with some very exclusive, uh, slightly scary images from Israel's past. Mary might think of the temple, which, you know, was not this accessible thing. Anybody can walk in and, you know, go spend time with God. It was this, you know, presence of God was in the Holy of Holies that only a select few priests could go into. And even then, it was kind of dicey. You know, there might be, you know, people might get hurt. It was dangerous. The whole thing was all very exclusive. Or maybe Mary would be thinking, okay, the presence of God, the pillar of fire that led the Israelites on their, on their exodus. You know, not exactly personal. You know, a strong figure, but not a personal one, doesn't seem like something you can know or understand. Or maybe Mary is thinking about, you know, the smoke and the clouds and the, and the lightning and fire that hovered on Mount Sinai. That was God's presence. And Moses could go up and spend time with God. But all the other Israelites were told, stay far away. It's too dangerous to get close. Those are all things that, in Mary's head, that's what the presence of God is going to look like. And instead, Mary is told, think more like this. This is what we're talking about now. Presence of God. No more pillar of fire. No, no, no more of the temple. Here's a baby. Keller writes, Every founder of every other religion comes to the world as a human being. None of them would ever claim to be God. Also, none of those founders would ever claim to be a redeemer or a savior. They say, I am just a guide. I will show you the way of salvation. But the Bible says Jesus is is the way of salvation. He comes not just to show you how to live, but to live the life you should have lived and even die the death you should have died for your sins. It is this meeting of a human leader and a divine savior that makes the angel's announcement the Christmas surprise. The ultimate version of, oh my goodness, I was not expecting that big of a gift. Before Christmas, the silence between God and his creation was probably beginning to feel a little bit like abandonment. Before Christmas, the idea of God lowering himself down to the level of his own creation, impossible, out of the question. But Mary got the good news that God is coming here for us. We are not alone. God is on his way to walk among us. Dorothy Sayer writes, the incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death. He has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole human experience, 
from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain, all for us, and thought it well worth his while. Now, of course, on top of all of that, this worldview that has totally got shifted around, Mary is wrestling with the surprise that she has been chosen. The news of the incarnation itself is plenty to handle and wrestle with, but Mary is also learning that this message is not just delivered to her, but is actually going to be delivered through her. Mary, who is essentially a peasant, uh, we know from, from the Bible that Mary and Joseph were not wealthy, they were poor. She's not a queen or a princess or some priest or prophet. Uh, she's a teenage girl who is engaged to a carpenter and pregnant before the wedding. And we can pretty safely assume that whatever stigmas we might have around unplanned you know, teenage pregnancies, the judgment was much, much harsher, harsher back then. Uh, and you know, the, the social reaction was going to be much more aggressive in Mary's day. It's also worth noting uh, that choosing someone like Mary is nothing new for God. In fact, again and again, we see God choosing the, the rejects and the oddballs as his helpers. You know, Moses and his stutter is chosen to lead God's people after he kind of ran away. Rahab, the prostitute, saved God's nation from trouble. David was a shepherd boy. There are many, many examples. Again and again, God doesn't choose people based on qualifications and reputation. And Mary is the pinnacle of that principle. Even when God needed someone to literally carry and care for him, which is just such an, uh, an absurd reverse of roles. He did not stray from his pattern. He didn't go out and find you know, some super special royalty or anything like that. He doubled down and chose Mary. Mary is essentially a nobody from nowhere. But surprise, the big world-changing, uh, the world-changing news, you, little Mary, are going to be how that news arrives. Oh, and by the way, you know, Mary, when that news arrives, it's not like you just have to like type it out and send out a newsletter to all of your friends. You actually have to care for and nurture and cultivate the Messiah's arrival. Mary, you're actually going to play a part. You know, this makes me think that, you know, Mary had to have looked at the disciples one day when they got the Great Commission and really thought they kind of got off easy. Like they just had to go around and walk around and talk to people. Mary had, got handed a baby. Through the use of Mary, we see that not only is God coming as a human, but the, most, uh, but the most ordinary, unassuming type of person that you can imagine is going to not just witness the plan, but be a part of it. Rather than this Messiah arriving out of a temple or coming in a thunderbolt or a chariot or on a mountaintop or anything like that, what does God decide to use as a home for the Holy Spirit, as a delivery system for his presence in the world? An unremarkable, unreputable, uninfluential human being becomes the new stand-in for the temple. At Christmas, God turns himself over to the clumsy hands of a human being like you and me. 
The Christmas announcement, uh, you know, is, of course, the ultimate surprise and the beginning of an unprecedented uh, shift and encounters between God and his creation. But the virtue and the heart that is behind the Christmas story is the oldest story that has never changed and never will. It is the story of God's relentless pursuit of us. The angel's announcement to Mary reminds us that we do not serve a clockmaker God who kind of made this creation and then wound it up and then took his hands off and just let it do its thing and just let history play out and unfold. He actually steps down into our history and decides to be a part of it and to be a part of how it all takes place. You know, does this temple that maybe you know, Mary would have been familiar with, does that feel exclusive? Does the cloud hovering on top of a mountain feel impenetrable? Christmas is God saying, how about we make you the temple, and how about God comes down and scrapes his knees just like the rest of us? Because of Christmas, we do not serve a God who has given us the frustration of being a human while he watches through some divine telescope to see if we pass or fail. He refuses to be this distant, unapproachable God who waits for us to make the journey to him. He he seeks us out and joins us along the journey. He puts himself in our hands, and we get a God who suffers to save us. Uh, Eugene Peterson, who some of you may be familiar with, this is a tight close-up of Eugene's face. Uh, Eugene Peterson, who is the translator of the message version of the Bible, one of the coolest people in my book, just an awesome, awesome writer. If you get a chance to read any of his books, uh, he wrote a ton besides the message, but that's what he's most well known for. He passed away a few years ago, and at his, uh, at his eulogy, his son, whose name is Leaf, his son Leaf, shared a really sweet story about how uh, his dad kind of only ever had one sermon that he preached. Over all of his years of preaching and teaching, he kind of only ever had one sermon. We've shared this quote before, uh, but it's, it's so worth repeating. Leaf says, He only had one sermon, one message, for 30 years. Every week, you made them think you were saying something new. They thought you were a magician in your long black robe, hiding so much in your ample sleeves always pulling something fresh and making them think it was just for them. He continued, They didn't know how simple it all was. They were blind to your secret. For 50 years, you would steal into my room at night and whisper softly to my sleeping head, It's the same message over and over again. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. Isn't that pretty good? If you had one sermon to preach, isn't that a good one? God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. The angel is giving us maybe the best news we could ever hear, and that is that God is on his way to you. You ever been, you ever visited a friend in like a big city you're not familiar with? And you get lost, and you know you're supposed to meet this friend, so I'm a, I'm a country mouse. So I get to a big city, I don't know where anything is, and you're visiting a friend, and you get turned around, you don't know cardinal directions, you don't know what any building is, and you call your friend, and they're like, hey, where are you? And you're like, I have no idea, I don't know. And they're like, well, describe what you see. And you're like, buildings, I don't know. And they're like, head west, I don't know, I'm not a pilgrim, I don't know which way west is. 
and you get frustrated, and then finally, your friend who actually knows their way around says, stay where you are, I'm coming to you. And you get to stay put and wait for your friend to come and get you. Don't you feel like that's how God must feel all the time with us? We say, hi God, it's me again. Oh, okay, where are you at? I don't know, I don't know how I got here. I took a weird turn, I don't know. Well, do you know where to go? No, I don't know where to go. Stay there, I'll come to you. Christmas is the ultimate version of that. We got ourselves a little bit mixed up. You stay put, I'll come and find you. Now, not only does this passage give us an announcement about God, Mary's response gives us direction on how we can respond to this news. Mary is the first person to ever receive this gift of the good news. Mary is humanity's first chance to respond. And by the way, you know, there's kind of a little bit extra on the line for her because there's some pretty personal implications that apply directly to her. And you can imagine all the different responses Mary could have. She could say, uh, God, you know, could we not do this right now? You know, we waited 400 years. Could we wait another six months till I'm like married and the rumor mill won't be so harsh on me? She doesn't say that. You could imagine she could say, you know, God, could we go halvesies on this? Could you like choose a different woman? And I'll still believe in all that, but maybe like use somebody else for your plan. We get none of that. In verse 38, we read Mary say, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary believed and put her plans on hold, put her reputation on the line, and received the gift of being a servant to the one true king. The gift of a God who would come as close as a mother and her child. You know, this question kind of begs us, you know, this story begs the question, how should we respond? What should our response be? Well, I think first is to be surprised and to celebrate the way that Mary did. The surprise of Christmas is as much a cause for joy and celebration now as it was back then. And I know it's easy to be desensitized to the news that God sent his son, Jesus, to save us. But there is no better time than Christmas for us to stop and to remember and to wonder at the huge leap that our Heavenly Father took to come and show us the way. We can take some real uh, lessons from Mary's example. You know, Mary was maybe the first person to really believe the links that God would go to be with us. She believed that God was no longer, you know, far, far away, but that he would actually come incredibly near. She believed that God was no longer invulnerable to the human condition, but was willing to feel it all. Can we remember to celebrate and to believe and to, and to believe the same things that Mary did? Uh, Mary's response that she gives is, of course, an example for us to follow. I am the Lord's servant. Uh, may, your words be, uh, may your word to me be fulfilled. I know I am struck here by the sheer availability that Mary shows. A huge amount is being asked of her, and she responds with a totally open posture, as if to say, uh, as if to say what later her son would say, your will be done. Open hands. She doesn't add conditions or clauses, simply available to let God work in and through her. And I know 
Mary's example can be a little bit daunting, at least to me, because it feels almost too perfect. She goes from questioning, you know, how can this be, to I am the Lord's servant, really, really fast. Uh, and I know I can start to, you know, I start to sweat a little bit, wondering how I would respond if the angel kind of asked all of this to me, if I was in this scenario. I don't want to be pregnant. I don't have the hips for it. However, I think Mary is actually responding in a way that is a little bit more relatable than we might think and an example that we can follow. I think what's going on here is Mary's availability is simply a response to her learning just how vastly more available God has just made himself. And I think we actually do the same thing all the time. We just do it with our calendars. Uh, maybe you all know someone, maybe, who can be a little bit annoying sometime or a little bit drain on your energy. And if that person asks for some of your time, asks if you could get together sometime, how available is your schedule oftentimes? Oh, it's packed. No availability. I'm all booked up, so maybe we'll try to squeeze something in in like March. We'll see if we can find some time. However, have you ever had someone that you really, really admire and someone you really, really look up to make time for you? Uh, maybe someone who you know has bitter, bigger and better things that they could be doing uh, clear out a space for you. Someone who is very bu busy and whose time is valuable makes time for you. When that person calls and makes an effort to meet with you, all of a sudden, how does your schedule look? Wide open. I got nothing but availability. Let's make it happen, whatever works for you. I know I have some people in my life that if they call me and say, let's get together, I will clear the books to make sure that I can make room for them because I know they've got a lot going on and I know that it's, take, it's taken a big step for them to make time for me. I think what we do with our calendars, Mary is doing with her heart. She knows just how big of a step God is taking to make himself available. She realizes how special it is that he has made his way to us and so she makes room. And I think we can do the same thing. When we take time to remember how profoundly available God made himself, it is much, much easier for us to say, of course I can make room. Of course I can clear the books. Whatever you say, go. I think our availability is a response to his. Like Mary, can we offer that up? Can we remember the surprise that our availability is actually a part of God's plan? Even if we feel like we're a nobody from nowhere, can we believe that our availability to be servants in God's kingdom may be how light starts to shine in the darkness? Uh, we're going to end today with a prayer. If you would, stand, and we're going to pray together. But we're going to do something just a, a tiny bit extra. Um, some of you may notice, uh, you know, at time to time here at Common Way, when we either lead a prayer, you might see people around, you know, around the auditorium doing this, putting their hands out as we pray, as if receiving something, kind of putting hands out just in this gesture of openness. I'm going to invite all of us to do this this morning. Um, it might feel silly. You might feel awkward. You might think, why the heck are we doing this? This, doesn't, uh, this isn't going to make any difference. I know for me, a lot of times, an outward posture helps me cultivate and reflect an inward posture as well. Uh, I think Mary's story uh, should challenge us to be available, to be, uh, to be willing to receive good news, to be willing to celebrate and make ourselves open 
to God's plan and God's work in our life. So if you would, join me in prayer. Just extend your hands in a posture of willingness to receive and availability to God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the good news of Christmas. Um, God, I pray that we are able to receive it and we're able to be surprised by it. Um, Even though it might be a familiar story, I pray that we would be able to celebrate that we have a God who is not distant, is not um, running away from us, but is actually doing the opposite, is running towards us. A God who is making himself so, so, so available in the Christmas story and so vulnerable and taking his own medicine. God, I pray that in response to that, we would be available to be, uh, to be your servants, that we would be happy to play uh, whatever little role you might have for us and that we might actually believe that it's a part of your plan. God, I pray that over the next few weeks, we're able to celebrate and find joy and peace and that we're also able to serve and to give up a little bit more of ourselves to you. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you go today, I'll leave you with the same blessing that Eugene uh, left so many years ago. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. Y'all have a good week, and we'll see you here next week as we continue our Advent series.